0: Coming to you from a cozy little condo, high atop old Fourth
1: Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to the Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts.
2: All right, and a happy Monday to you. Coming to you from the ATL, the uh, future home of the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility. Actually, I can't even say that because uh, that is going to be outside city limits. And not even in Fulton County. Well, I mean, some of Atlanta isn't in Fulton County. Some of it's in DeKalb County. There was a huge protest today. I say huge. Hundreds of um, Stop Cop City protesters uh, took to the streets and sought to march from Gresham Park in Atlanta to the public safety training facility construction site where they ran into a blockade. Uh, About two dozen or so DeKalb County police in riot gear. Nothing says de-escalation. Or this isn't going to become a militarization quite like 20 to 30 cops in riot gear with armored vehicles, tear gas, and flashbang grenades, which, by the way, they deployed on the protesters who sought to move past their blockade. First, I want to give you some audio to kind of give you an idea how the protest began at Gresham Park. The NDN Collective was there doing some men on the street interviewing, and here's some of that. First up was uh, spokesperson Mary Hooks with the Stop Cop City Coalition.
3: Yeah, so the struggle uh, against Cop City has been going on for some years now, and uh, this past summer, um, our attorney general he uh, charged sixty-one people with RICO um, after the March Week of Action, and unfortunately, uh, it also it included sixty-one people who just you know fighting for. Um, you know, this uh, cop city not to be built, not for the Wilani forest to be destroyed, you know, not to see our communities further militarized, over criminalized, et cetera, et cetera. And so we are here today. Today is the day where arraignment will happen. And we are here to let them know, one, that you're not going to run over people's lives like this that this is an overreach and that the basics of resistance and people's ability to protest and the petition and to stand up to that government, those things should not be lost. And the fact that they're going to round up folks and put them on RICO charges says that this country is afraid of the power that's been building and growing for for decades, for centuries, over generations, in this particular iteration of movement over the last few years. Okay. and so. You know, as we're struggling around these RICO charges, we also are in deep solidarity with the comrades in Palestine who are fighting for their liberation, which means all, all of our collective liberation. And Atlanta plays a very key, key role in terms of um, the Gili program here. And the Gili program is the Georgia International Law Exchange Enforcement Exchange. And essentially, Atlanta police officers go and train with the Israeli Defense Forces and bring that mess back here and use those same tactics on our people and they're going to get this cop city that's going to get built that's what they're trying to do at least not if we got anything to say about it in order to uh, institutionalize those trainings on the 85 acre a uh, piece of land that, that's, that the city gave them for $10 a year, the lease, when many people in here right across the street is homeless right now, yo. And these big corporations is getting $10 a year leases and paying, and we're paying $67 million of our taxpayer money, right? Our students can barely, you know what I mean, uh, go to school, take care of their families. I mean, everybody is impacted by this issue. And so we know what's happening here in Atlanta is deeply connected to both the international struggles that are happening, And so that's why we out here, yo. We got to support and we got to let people know that they put these RICO charges on our folks back to try to deter movement, to try to repress movement. But as we said, yo, put me on a RICO. If doing mutual aid, if loving our people, if resisting uh, fascism and and authoritarianism and and, and, and resisting a backwards government is what we are guilty of, Then put me on, baby. Put my name on it, because I'm gonna do this shit till I die. Yeah,
1: when you're saying mutual aid, people are being charged for buying people COVID tests for this helping people out. like It's basically doing community support for each other when you're in a space, and they're criminalizing that. They're saying you can't help each other. If you help each other, you're a part of some sort of conspiracy of just trying to survive in this society or something. Right, which is wild, which is
3: wild. And, you know, in this city, uh, this country has been cutting away the social safety net for decades, for decades. And you leave the people the only choice to one, take care of each other, which I believe is the best care we can get anyway. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so... That is part of our fight and struggle. It is, yes, about Cop City, but it's also about challenging what we understand, how we can be in community with each other. Because, you know, this system thrives in our isolation. They thrive when we're isolated and we don't care about each other. And we are, like, all on this, like, rat wheel of trying to hustle and make it. But when people come together to take care of each other, to challenge power, that's what they're afraid of. And so that's what these RICO charges is about.
1: For sure. And, like, when you say... um. Like these charges too are are chilling trying to chill the movement right you're saying like people need to show up support each other and then this makes people feel isolated yeah you know they want
3: people to feel isolated they don't want us to come out here they want people not to engage in the fight but what they actually did was light another match you feel me what they actually did was ignite more people more people have been radicalized at the fact that our government Will allow people to even get Rico charges for this BS. Because the real issue is, is how these fuckers are complacent and uh, and complicit and doing Rico the way they uh, dealing arms, the way they selling land, real estate deals, all the all the shady lobbyists. That's what the real Rico charges need to happen. And so that's why we out here, you know, to make sure that people understand that it's not in our isolation we're gonna win. It's when we come out together, when we take risk together. Shared action, share reward. Share risk, share reward you know
1: yeah and then so, uh, the cop city too like they're training to control city blocks or how what is the training that's gonna go on in there what do you think the final goal is yeah well you
3: know we have the goals that they say and part of their goals is to increase the morale of police literally they have said we gonna build this thing our police need a morale increase but I'm like yo you talking about a, uh may- maybe maybe 1500 people But you got thousands of people living in this city whose morale are young people, the suicide rates, the people who are getting evicted, the people who can't find jobs. That's what we should be concerned about the morale. But what we know to be true is that they intend to build this facility and they're going to have a a pretend uh, apartment complex, a pretend nightclub and all these sort of They're literally building a fake city to learn how to engage in urban warfare training tactics, which is part of. um, which is part of um, their line. That's their words, urban warfare training. That is their words, not ours. But we, we know that experience. I know that experience very personally. I got my ass beat by the police in 2014. I know it very clear. And so that's what we're up against. That's what we're up against. A little homie, was uh, just posting flyers and exposing the police who murdered you yo on January 18th Murder, homie and they and, and homie is caught up in a Rico and so all of these people who are trying to bring more awareness expose and hold our system accountable. This system accountable, I don't own this shit. This system accountable, we're seeing the backlash.
1: Uh, I mean, did, you, did you introduce yourself? I can't.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Mary Hooks. I'm a National Field Secretary with the Movement for Black Lives, part of the uh, Cop City Vote Coalition, part of several organizations, but uh, a mother in this city.
2: They then caught up with Reverend Jonathan Rogers from the Unitarian Universalist Church.
4: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, I'm uh, Reverend Jonathan Rogers. I'm a Unitarian Universalist minister here in uh, Atlanta, and uh, I've been uh, part of the Stop Cop City movement this whole calendar year. And I'm um, here this afternoon, or this morning, uh, to express solidarity with our comrades who have been uh, given felony RICO charges and the majority of whom um, are here, uh, all, all of whom are here due to draconian and um, anti-democratic uh, repression by the uh georgia state attorney uh... by law enforcement and uh... The, the criminal justice system
1: why why i guess like a person of faith like why is uh, why do you feel compelled to step into this movement make sure people know that there's something wrong going on here
4: yeah absolutely so um, as a unitarian universalist uh... our um, fourth principle calls us to uh... affirm and promote <laughs> the right of conscience and the use of the democratic process both in our communities and in society at large. And uh, this is a a, a thoroughly undemocratic um, example of repression of the people. Um, We've got, you know, folks who have been expressing their first amendment rights to to protest uh, peacefully throughout this, um, throughout 2023, uh, throughout the stop cop city movement. And um, instead of, you know, affirming and upholding that right um, and that that uh, appeal to democracy. Uh, Georgia is instead uh, repressing that and uh, taking anti-democratic, very very severely repressive uh, tactics in response. Hey, so yes,
1: this, this here is the democratic process, and this is what they're not going to allow to happen.
4: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, this is, you know, uh, this is a mass movement. This is uh, people coming out and making their voices heard. This is not uh, CEOs from the major corporations in Atlanta getting together and pooling, you know, uh, tens of millions of dollars in order to fund a private organization, a private nonprofit that is going to fund and uh, have control over uh, the Atlanta Police Training Facility. Um, you know, that's – that's. Uh, that's a fascistic way of doing it when you have the people with the money controlling the means of power, controlling the police forces, controlling the, the use of violence. This is a democratic process where we've got uh, you know the population, uh, the, the, the mass movement, the people without the violence who are showing up and who are uh, expressing themselves peacefully and who are... Um, acting on behalf of their communities instead of on behalf of their shareholders.
2: All right, so there's actually a whole lot more. There's a stump speech, audio, and whatnot. I want to help kind of piece together how we arrived at uh, (laughs) tear gas and flash grenades at protesters trying to make their way to the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility construction site. So we'll try and piece that together. It's just another one of those situations where... This story has kind of fallen off the radar for a bit because we're in this legal limbo waiting on decisions to be made in courtrooms about when or if a referendum will wind up on a ballot. And at this point, will it even be in March uh, when when primary elections are starting? I mean, you know, the clock's ticking. Anyway, this is another one of those scenarios where <laughs> we keep getting told that the public safety training facility isn't about the militarization of the police. And then today the protesters are met by... Riot gear cops, 24 to 30 of them, with tear gas canisters and flash grenades. You, you, can't make this, you can't make this up. This is another one of those, oh, you lost the narrative days, if you are one of the backers of the uh, Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility or the Atlanta Police Foundation. So we do have more of that audio. We'll get to that in just a little bit. And also, oh my gosh, if you haven't heard about this, maybe you're not in Metro Atlanta, a huge apartment complex fire... In the La Vista Road area, uh, northeast of Midtown Atlanta, and hundreds are now homeless, all, all because some tenants thought it would be a good idea to shoot fireworks off the roof. Huge blaze over the weekend. Lots of folks have been displaced and lost their belongings. Uh, we'll touch on that story and lots of political headlines as well. When the Rancho returns here on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Monday, Ron Show. Thank you for listening on the American One Radio app, Radio.com, or review podcast. Uh, as I mentioned uh, last segment, a huge protest and March and rally beginning at Gresham Park, the block cop city, stop cop city movement, uh, rallying several hundred folks for that march to the, <laughs> to the blockade that greeted them when uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reports, 30, DeKalb County Police, in riot gear with armored vehicles, tear gas, and flashbang grenades. But we're not militarizing our police. That's not what the police training facility is going to be for. Anyway, they unloaded the canisters, according to the AJC, and small explosive devices as protesters attempted to push past their line. Many protesters fled into the forest while others retreated away from the gas. The confrontation lasted just a few minutes. Police began threatening arrests as the protesters realign themselves further down Constitution Road with many locking arms in front of the crowd appearing to prepare for a second run at police. An officer with a megaphone kept repeating, this is an illegal protest in America. An illegal protest, you need to disperse or you will be arrested. The AJC reporting minutes after those announcements, the crowd turned and began the trek back to a recreation center nearby. A statement from DeKalb County government said the crowd was dispersed because protesters did not have a permit to block traffic. There were no injuries or arrests reported. And the NDN Collective had live YouTube video uh, of the uh, the protests beforehand, uh, the the speeches, the uh, the march itself. Uh, look and see if we got some of the tear gassing. Anyway, I'll try and find that. In the meanwhile, I do want to go back to how the day began. It began with a, a lot of speeches, uh, some of which sounded like this
0: today because our people, our organizers, our friends, our comrades have been fighting to stop Cop City. And in their fight to stop Cop City, the authorities have decided to charge them with domestic terrorism and RICO. But we know who the real domestic terrorists are, don't we? It is the city, it is the county, and it is the state. It is the people who are using their legal resources to charge people who are defending the land, defending the people, trying to stop over-policing. We see from the indictment itself that they started to say that the so-called illegal conspiracy started when George Floyd was murdered by the police. I want you to take that in. The illegal conspiracy started when they murdered George Floyd. It did not start when Cop City, when we found out about Cop City, which were months later. But for the police, for the district attorney, for the city of Atlanta, for the county of Fulton and DeKalb, for the state of Georgia, when people got into the streets fighting about stopping the over-policing and criminalization of our communities that's when we formed a criminal conspiracy so this has nothing to do with cop city this has everything to do with stopping movements stopping organizing and continuing the criminalization of our community this has everything with them building more jails more prisons having more police and telling us to shut up and do nothing about it So we are here today to make sure that our comrades and friends are supported, because we know that these charges are fake charges. We know that these charges have no basis in reality, and we know that our people need to be supported and they need to be free. Our people are people who are arrested defending the forest. Our people are people who've been arrested for being out there in the streets, for being at rallies and demonstrations like this, for being in the forest, where Tortuguita was murdered by the police. And let's never forget that fact. Let's never forget that fact. The first environmental organizer activist killed in the United States happened during the Stop Cop City movement in a tent. Cross-legged, killed by the police. These are the people who are charging us with crimes when they haven't been indicted for a single crime for their actions against our larger community. We have to understand that the policing power that the Fulton County Police hold, that the Atlanta Police hold, that the police power, that the task force, that was developed to include the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, Homeland Security, that the police power that includes different police forces all across this country, and the police forces in Western Europe, and the police force in Israel, are all meant to continue the repression of our people. So we have to stand strong here, with our organizers and activists and community members who are now facing RICO charges. Because today it's them and tomorrow could be the rest of us. We cannot, no movement survives without organizing and supporting the people who've been arrested in that movement. You cannot survive as a movement if you don't stand up for your folks. So we're here today to stand up for our people. We're here today to say, Stop Cop City. 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 City! City! And we will be back again and again for this week of action, for a month of action, for a year of action, because as far as we are concerned, Cop City will never be
2: Okay, and then from the Indian Collective, actually Rob DiOrinzo, he is with Fox Five Atlanta. Caught this video around eleven thirty or so this morning. Here's the cops in the riot gear, tear gas canister guns, and there we go, tear gas. Yeah, that's, uh, that's how they uh, that's how they responded to folks who uh, read notes. Didn't have a permit for their parade today.
1: And the police are continuing to push, trying to hold back. People are just holding link together, uh, heading in this direction. Uh, it doesn't seem like tear gas. I'm smelling it. No, it's just like white smoke right now. <laughs> now they're throwing tear gas into the crowd. Um, they're throwing munitions. Yeah, that's tear gas. Well, I should
2: have worn my mask. Uh, what better way to show that a new public safety training facility isn't going to have cops tamping down on First Amendment rights than by tamping down on First Amendment rights, am I right? More Ron Show after this on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. <laughs> so welcome back to The Ron Show for Monday. Huge story over the weekend in metro Atlanta. It really brings back some uh, memories from my childhood that uh, it's been a long time since I have even talked about this to anybody. Let's get an update. Uh, Horrible apartment fire over the weekend at the Reserve at La Vista Walk. And uh, the story, the latest we got uh, yesterday was this.
5: New developments tonight and an overnight fire. Hundreds there without a home after a massive apartment fire in northeast Atlanta. Police have arrested two people, accusing them of starting the flames. Channel 2's Courtney Francisco is live there tonight. And Courtney, you talk with people who once lived in that complex. That's right, Candace. And firefighters are going on hour 25 out here. Mm. Look up. There is a person at the top of a ladder truck there now working to put out the hot spots that keep reigniting. Then bring your attention a little lower. All these apartment homes destroyed. Before dark, the wood inside looked like charred matchsticks collapse on one another. I spoke to people who called this home and informed them how police believe this started. We now know investigators believe fireworks sparked the first flames that grew through this apartment complex, eating through entire rows of units leaving hundreds homeless.
0: November, fireworks,
5: not a holiday. I live on the fourth floor, I heard a big bang. I showed people who lived here the mugshots of the two people police say lit the fireworks on the rooftop of the apartment oh building, Charnel Gunn and Robert Stokes. I don't know why they didn't. I never see them in the building because I know almost all the people live in the building, but I never see those people live right here. The complex is called the Reserve at La Vista Walk. The alarms started sounding around 10:30 Friday night. Bang in door get
2: out it's 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 a fire. There's a fire.
5: Outside, Atlanta Police Chief Darren Shearbaum told us one of his officers lives here and lost all of his belongings and his cat.
2: He and other officers started going floor to floor, making sure everyone was aware of the fire, assisting in getting individuals out.
5: News Drone 2 flew overhead as crews were still putting out hot spots. More than 20 hours later, we continued to meet new people on the street who lost everything. Some like Miles Wilson were trying to find a place to go through the Red Cross, pointing out the two jailed for doing this have a roof in bed tonight, unlike them.
2: That was
0: definitely a poor decision. Them displacing all these people out of their homes now, um, is, is a travesty,
3: I mean, to say the least.
5: So tragic for those folks. Courtney Francisco back live in Northeast Atlanta. And Courtney, what do we know about those two people that are now behind bars tonight? Well, we know Robert Stokes will be 43 years old next month, and Charnell Gunn is 25 years old this month. And they both face two charges, criminal conduct and criminal damage to property. Now, as for the survivors out here, the Red Cross has set up a shelter at 400 Merritts Avenue Northeast.
2: I have a close friend. Well, I say close friend. I have a friend that uh, lived in that building. He and his uh, boyfriend, and I think it was their dog. It just so happened that uh, my friend is out of town, and I think the dog was staying with one of the parents. I think it's his mom or dad. Anyway, f- just so fortunate that uh, uh, he he was out of town. Uh, his, his, his boyfriend, I believe, was at work or something like that. The dog was staying uh, just... just tough. When I was 12 years old, we uh, had a house fire. We lost our home. We were displaced for about six months. We were fortunate that, first of all, we had uh, a neighbor who took us in immediately right across the street from our house, Miss Dallas. Miss Dallas Shatt, who just passed away a few weeks ago, as a matter of fact. I think she was 99. Goodness. Uh, Anyway, she took us in, no questions asked. And when I say us, I don't mean just like my mom and dad, my sister and I. No, it was the four of us, plus my uh, alzheimers uh, adult grandfather at the time, my grandmother, who had just had back surgery. She was unable to walk or get up on her own for, for quite a while after that. She took us in, no questions asked. It was just a wonderful chapter in my life. And uh, Miss Dallas always holds a special place in my heart because of that. She was also <laughs> the, uh, the, the old lady who, who tried to be the cool old lady on the block. She used to take me me at like age 14 to uh, hockey games and, and basketball, college basketball games and things like that, because she knew I enjoyed that. And, you know, my parents didn't. So she liked it. And, you know, I had a good time hanging out with younger folks. And it was just a, you know, one of those cool little quirky moments uh, in my life. Anyway, we also rented a house for about, I think, six months while we were waiting on our, our home to get rebuilt. Um, and, and these folks are living in apartment homes have absolutely no idea what awaits them, or if there will be a rebuild there. But obviously, they've got to go somewhere now and need clothes on their back and belongings, toiletries, things of that nature to survive on. And obviously, the Red Cross uh, is doing their part to help out. Uh, There are a a handful of GoFundMes uh, set up as well. I want to say WSB Channel 2, who we just had that story from, had a Story with some GoFundMe links. Uh, I'll try and find that and share that for you in today's show notes at Uh My buddy Alexander uh, also has a GoFundMe set up. It's um, yeah, just sad. It, it's tough to lose all your belongings. It sucks to hear people losing their pets too. We lost in, in that house fire and, and they didn't burn to a crisp or anything like that, but they were uh, they just passed away from the smoke inhalation. Uh, we lost two cats as well. Uh, we, had, uh, we had a handful of dogs one or two, and uh, had another cat that was able to get out, Domino. Domino lived a long time. <laughs> anyway, um, just just a tough, tough situation. Uh, thoughts uh, and, and well wishes to the folks affected, and uh, my heart just breaks for the loss of the pets. That just sucks. In a related story, however, Riley Bunch at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reporting that the Atlanta Fire Department is dealing with what they deem a dire Equipment shortage. I guess the Atlanta Police Foundation doesn't have a cadre of cash for fire equipment, but we're going to get a campus in DeKalb County for that training. Uh, The article, the pervasive problem has forced several stations to temporarily close due to lack of ladder trucks. We needed those at the Reserve at La Vista and other vehicles. The city has approved a multi-million dollar purchase of goods But it's unclear when they will arrive. Priorities, right? Uh, Riley Bunch reporting. This, again, dropped over the weekend. Uh, Yes, no, this morning, as a matter of fact. uh, Bill Brockman remembers clearly the headline-making rescue of a crane operator who, in 1999, was stuck 200 feet above the ground in Atlanta's old Fulton bag and cotton mill as the building was engulfed in flames. The former battalion chief for the Atlanta Fire and Rescue Department said that while the helicopter rescue caught national attention on that day, he was worried about something potentially much deadlier, saying the larger problem was the fire was out of control in Cabbage Town, which is all old wood frame houses very close together. He said it was such a windy day that the fire department of 1999, which was fully staffed and equipped, couldn't handle it and had to call for a lot of help from surrounding areas. But I'm not sure they could do that now, he said. I'm not sure they could hold it long enough for DeCab Decatur, or Cobb to come. Brockman's source of concern is a pervasive equipment shortage plaguing Atlanta's firefighters. A problem so severe that stations have had to close temporarily due to a lack of ladder trucks and other vehicles. Riley Bunch continues, In recent months, city officials have struggled with fluctuating news. One day, the city would be down two engines or ladder trucks, while other days, upwards of 20 are out of commission. On your normal day, you're fine, Brockman said of the shortage, but every day isn't normal. Last weekend wasn't normal. Back to the AJC article, Atlanta City Council members have been rushing to find a solution to the problem, which they say has been brewing for decades. At the same time, the department, well, you know what else has been brewing for decades? The lack of uh, a proper facility to train police and fire, right? Decades. Fulton County wants to build such a facility in Fulton County at a fraction of the cost of the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility outside Cobb County, outside city limits. Uh, The fire department has been quiet about the issue. Atlanta Fire and Rescue Department officials, this is back to the AJC article, did not respond to a request for an interview. Council members say they were taken aback by news shared by Fire Chief Rod Smith at a committee meeting in October that three stations were currently closed. The personnel are coming to the call, Smith told council members. It's just you don't have the ladder trucks there. Many of Atlanta's frontline trucks have been in service for more than two decades, while the recommended lifespan is 8 to 10 years. On top of that, the aged equipment, the city is currently operating with no reserve fleets. Dustin Hillis, chairman of the Public Safety Committee, said, We can't continue to say and pretend and mask problems that now being down 10, 15, 20 fire apparatus isn't impacting response time for people's safety. That's absurd. Riley Bunch continues reporting, while the department faces staffing issues and equipment shortages, calls for service have increased significantly. Nate Bailey, president of the Atlanta Professional Firefighters, took to the podium in the council chamber at City Hall to read staggering statistics about the increase in calls across stations from 2005 to 2019. Some of the city's fire engines, which are equipped with water hoses, saw more than a 200% increase in calls for service within the 14-year period. Most of the city's ladder trucks are also answering well over 100% more calls. So the article provides this example. The engine at Fire Station 5 on Campbellton Road on the southwest side of the city jumped from 848 calls in 2005 to just under 3,000 calls in 2019, according to the Firefighters Association. Fire Station 3's engine near Brookhaven shot up from 753 calls to more than 2,300. That's like nearly threefold there. The city's ladder trucks have seen similar increases in use. If we doubled or tripled the calls on these apparatus, Bailey said, We've also doubled or tripled the calls on the backs of our firefighters because we have the same number of sworn as we did in 2005 as we do now. The disparities in equipment across stations puts the city in a poor position to host major events like the upcoming 2026 World Cup games, Bailey said. Councilman Hillis, according to Riley Bunch, spearheaded recently passed legislation to try to front-load equipment orders. For the department and fully replenish the fleet within the next five years. Okay, and while I could sit here and point out how spending 65 to 90 million, 120 million, some have said, for this uh, public safety training facility, we don't have the trucks we need. And even if we were to order them, we got to order them so far in advance so as not to expect them for anywhere from two to two and a half years. That's right. Uh, back to the article during the November 6th city council meeting, the body passed legislation to fund the $18 million. Wow, purchase of one ladder truck, eight fire engines, one utility truck, two rescue boats, 45 defibrillators and breathing devices. Oh, okay. So it's $18 million for the one truck, eight fire engines, one utility truck, two. Re- okay. Got it. Uh, the city council also passed a proposal requesting invest Atlanta approve $5 million for additional fire equipment at three stations within the city's tax allocation district. But even if the city is able to dedicate the funds, he says, it's, waiting, it's a waiting game to get orders from manufacturers facing supply chain backlogs. These aren't hitting the ground in Atlanta, very absolute best-case scenario, for 18 months, but more than likely 24 to 36 months, according to Councilman Hillis. We'll get moved up in the queue if we speak to the vendors, let them know how dire the situation is, and put in larger orders, which we should then we'll get prioritized. That's my understanding. Hillis also pointed out that it's not just the engines and ladder trucks that are creating problems. Many of the city's stations are run down, some even with boarded-up windows, and defibrillators are broken or missing from vehicles. Y'all, that is... that uh, Atlanta public safety, man. We, we, we got to have this new campus outside city limits so that we can train... What? How to overcome the, the the shoddy equipment we have, or the lack of trucks, or the overworked men? Out! Oh my gosh! <laughs> priorities, priorities. Put this on a ballot. Give us an opportunity to to spend a a, a penny or something on. on this. Give put this on the ballot. Do you think the residents of Atlanta, while we're while it's fresh in our minds, the reserve at La Vista just so fresh in our mind, we can still smell the smoke. What do you do? You want to. Uh, do you want a, 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 an overpriced public safety training facility outside city limits in DeKalb County? Or would you like to instead maybe spend a quarter of that money, collaborate with Fulton County to build a very similar facility inside city limits and in Fulton County, and then use the rest of the money to get your fire stations up to standards and to purchase enough trucks and hire enough firemen to handle the doubling, sometimes tripling and quadrupling of calls. Put that on a ballot. Let me see the mayor and council going to speak up for that over an overpriced training facility outside city limits in DeKalb County, running through the Atlanta Police Foundation, some nonprofit backed by big-dollar corporate donors that don't have to answer to we, the people. One last time, back to this Riley Bunch article, which I'll include in today's show notes. Props to our firefighters because they'll run or ride a bicycle. Whatever they have to do to get to a scene to provide someone medical attention or to fight a fire, Councilman Hill has said, but we have to support our firefighters to make sure that they have the equipment that they need to provide for our citizens and visitors in the city. Listen, I know this isn't a shortcoming of current mayor and council, but it's a shortcoming that needs to be dealt with now. And to me, there's a lot more political capital to be gained by all parties involved. Oh, and serving the citizens by taking care of this as a priority instead of, well, you know what? Back after this. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Monday final segment. And I know it was a pretty cop city heavy, but I don't know. The fire department thing was sort of related, I guess, in some way, shape, form or fashion. Uh, so I thought I'd bounce around a little bit and talk about some of the other headlines of the day. Tim Scott's uh, pausing his campaign for the uh, GOP nomination for the presidency of the United States. Uh, again, there were only five on the dais, and he dropping out likely doesn't. I don't. I don't know. Maybe who, who would who would his support turn to? Nikki Haley, maybe. Although they didn't get in nearly the tussle. Uh, that uh, she and Vivek did. Uh, will there be hostilities from his base? When uh, what did they argue about? Oh yeah, she had curtains ordered when she was ambassador to the United Nations. I think. Uh, no, I, I think because they both hail from the same state. I, I maybe it's just natural for me to think. Oh, Tim Scott supporters will likely uh, jump to Nikki Haley, and that's important. Okay. That's important because I think she's within striking distance. In fact, in some, in some polls, she surpassed Ron DeSantis as the uh, second, or I'm sorry, the best, biggest threat to Donald Trump resting the nomination for a second to- I'm sorry, for a third time in uh, the last three presidential cycles for the GOP nomination. It'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Uh, of course, you know, he's still in a scenario where he's not going to uh, be endorsing anybody and uh, the fundraising conference are still open. I'm sure there's some bills to be paid, perhaps. So uh, we'll we'll wait and see how that all plays out. Bill Nygut, who is now with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and uh, one of the uh, regular hosts of the AJC's Politically Georgia podcast, uh, wrote an op-ed that I thought was... Pretty profound and state some things that I think a lot of folks are scared to say or ask. The headline is literally a question that I think a lot of people are scared to ask. Can we stand with Israel and mourn for Palestinians caught in war? It's a it's a it's a dicey thing. You get labeled so fast on social media if you dare speak to the plight of the Palestinian citizen who is caught in the crossfire here. That that makes you anti-Zionist, or anti-Semitic, even worse than that. Oh my gosh. And and Bill Nye, I think, points to some things that bear out why I think that it, it should be okay to say, yeah, obviously what Hamas did is terrible, but also let, let's let's be honest, what the folks in Gaza are dealing with is terrible as well. So Bill writes, the AJC's most recent poll of Georgia voters was conducted in Israel, as Israel is fully engaged in its war to destroy Hamas after the terrorist barbaric attacks on Israelis on October 7th. Our poll revealed that nearly two-thirds of Georgians think that supporting Israel is in the best interest of the United States, but there are significant numbers of dissenters. We talked about this when that poll came out. Nearly 40% of Democrats told pollsters that supporting Israel is not an American national interest. What's more, 41% of black voters who typically vote Democratic share that opinion. Why is this tepid support, Bill asks, for Israel happening even as the country surely has the right to mobilize to defeat an evil terrorist organization that has vowed to wipe out Israelis, quote, from the river to the sea, he asks. I'd suggest two reasons, and I'd suggest we listen to these reasons. First, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is a deeply polarizing figure for many Jews in Israel and in the United States. By forming a governing coalition government with far-right anti-Palestinian parties, by encouraging the construction of more Jewish settlements in the West Bank, and by working to undermine the power of Israel's Supreme Court, which has always been a counterbalance to government excesses, Netanyahu has been the target of massive protests by Israelis opposed to his policies. While Israelis have, for the most part, now unified to support the destruction of Hamas, many outside the country remain hostile to Netanyahu and assume he has little regard for the lives of non-combatant Palestinians in Gaza. By the way, uh, Netanyahu was on Meet the Press, and I forget who it was on the panel that said something to that end. Of course, folks are on the same page. Go get Hamas. But there seems to be a lack of concern. Not Not that Israeli military folks are targeting civilians, but they're not all that concerned about missing them either. I forget who it was that said that, but the point was well made. Um, I'll try and find that. If I had some time to prepare today, I may have had that clip for you, but I didn't. Okay, yeah, Bill, like, it did have a second point, right? Uh, Second, the photos and videos of terrified Palestinians living under relentless, massive IDF attacks in Gaza hand, the growing toll of the dead and displaced have captured the sympathy of many who just weeks ago were likewise appalled, see what he said, likewise appalled by the news of Israelis who were butchered indiscriminately by Hamas. Bill writes, all of this reminds me of a trip I made to Israel in 1995 to cover a story that shook Israelis to the core, the assassination of Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin. Rabin was beloved by many as a peacemaker who embraced the Oslo Accords, which paved the way for the two-state solution giving Palestinians autonomy within their own secure territory in exchange for an acceptance of Israel's right to continue existence as a Jewish state, freed from constant threats of attack. Rabin was shot to death by Yigal Amir, a right-wing extremist who opposed peace with the Palestinians. Bill writes, I arrived in Tel Aviv some 48 hours after the murder and was just in time to see thousands of Israelis gathered to mourn Rabin's loss in Kings of Israel Square, now Rabin Square." which was where he'd been murdered. The crowd waved lighted candles in the air, sang songs in Hebrew, and shed tears for his loss. Bill continues, many of the Jews who gathered to mourn Rabin's death at that gathering on a warm November evening would soon also be mourning the beginning of the end of the two-state solution. Over the years, a succession of conservative government coalitions have further eroded support for the Oslo Accords. A poll conducted by Pew Research just weeks before the Hamas attacks revealed that only 35% of Israelis believe that a way can be found for Palestinians and Israelis to live side by side peaceably. That figure has declined more than 15 points over the past decade. Netanyahu has never been an outspoken supporter of the two-state solution, and earlier this year he gave an interview to CNN in which he said he found it extremely unlikely that the Israelis and Palestinians could achieve a long-term peace anytime soon. And that fuels the rage of terrorists who commit unspeakable attacks on Israelis. I'll share that for you in today's show notes at RonShowATL.com. That's going to do it for the roncho. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on American One Radio, American Radio.com, and then afterwards, wherever you podcast. Have a good one. We'll see you then.